0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Chronicles 29. This is found on page 356 in the Bibles in the back of your pew. 1 Chronicles 29. Then King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, God has chosen him alone, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because the building will not be built for a human, but for the Lord God. So to the best of my ability, I've made provision for the house of my God. Gold for the gold articles, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx, stones for mounting, antimony, stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, and a great quantity of marble. Moreover, because of my delight in the house of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the house of my God, over and above all that I've provided for the Holy House. 100 tons of gold, gold of a fear, and 250 tons of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the building, the gold for the gold work and the silver for the silver for all the work to be done by the craftsmen, Now, who will volunteer to consecrate himself to the Lord today? Then the leaders of the households, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. For the service of God's house, they gave 185 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 4,000 tons of iron. Whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the Lord's house under the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because of their their leader's willingness to give, for they had given to the Lord wholeheartedly. King David also rejoiced greatly. Then David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly, David said, May you be blessed, Lord God, our Father Israel, from eternity to eternity. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your own hand. For we are aliens and temporary residences in your presence as were our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this wealth that we've provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand. Everything belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and that you're pleased with what is right. I've willingly given all these things with an upright heart, and now I have seen your people who are present here giving joyfully and willingly to you. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our ancestors, keep this desire in the thoughts of the hearts of your people and conform their hearts to you. Give my son Solomon an undivided heart to keep and to carry out all your commands, your decrees, and your statutes, and to build the building for which I have made provision. Then David said to the whole assembly, Blessed be the Lord your God. So the whole assembly praised the Lord God of their ancestors. They knelt low and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. The following day, they offered sacrifices to the Lord and burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs, along with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. They ate and drank with great joy in the Lord's presence that day. Then, for a second time, they made David's son Solomon king. They anointed him as the Lord's ruler and Zodak as the priest. Solomon sat on the Lord's throne as king in the place of his father, David. He prospered and all Israel obeyed him. All the leaders and the mighty men and all King David's sons as well pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. The Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been bestowed on any king over Israel before him. David, son of Jesse, was king over all Israel. The length of his reign over Israel was forty years. He reigned in Hebron for seven years and Jerusalem for thirty-three He died at a good old age full of days, riches, and honor, and his son Solomon became king in his place. As for the events of King David's reign from beginning to end, note that they are written in the events of the seer Samuel, the events of the prophet Nathan, and the events of the seer Gad, along with all his reign, his might, and the incidents that affected him and Israel, and all the kingdoms of the surrounding lands. Amen.
1: Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we just declare in agreement with your word that yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, the kingdom, honor, power, and might belong to you and you alone. You are seated on your throne. You do as you please your kingdom is everlasting and will reach to everlasting. It will fill all and permeate every part of this world. God, we just ask that you would open our eyes this morning as we come to your word. Would you speak in the hearing of your people? God, would you dispose our hearts to hear and receive? And would you give us the willingness that we even heard read in this text of a heart that responds to you with a willing, wholehearted, undivided disposition. God, we long to be yours. We long to be pleasing to you in every work. Would you come and move us and stir us and shape us by the power of your word through the anointing of your spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just a quick review as we come into what's going to be the final sermon in 1 Chronicles. As we come to the end of this year, we're going to take a few weeks off. And then uh, starting at the end of January uh, next year, we'll pick back up in 2 Chronicles and walk through... But we've spent the entire fall working our way through Chronicles, and there's a really beautiful ending to this. And I think there's a real fitting word that the Lord has for us as we we come to our our close in this book and we look to what the Lord has on the horizon for us of uh, responding to his call. So just look with me here. Uh, We'll review quickly. The Lord has been at work in our church in the last season calling us to build his house, to uh, put again at the center of everything we have and everything we do, rightly ordered worship up under the Lordship of Jesus, uh, ordering the entirety of our spiritual family, both individually and corporately around the worship given to the Lord. Uh, this isn't just because of the particular story that we have as Redeemer Kansas City, but I think is a part of a broader call that the Lord has upon his church in this season. And keep, keep feeling this, this, this pull of you know where we see in the scriptures again and again where the Lord will come and say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. I think there is a particular call in this season in the life of the church to respond to what the Lord is doing by humbling ourselves and reclaiming and regaining a pattern of life that's built up under the worship of our Lord. Look at letter B. One of the specific ways we've sought to do this and understand and strengthen and bolster and compel us toward what God is doing is to preach through these books. These books uh, were written to a group of exiles who had been taken into captivity for uh, a 70-year period and were coming back to Israel to ruins. Their temple was in ruins. Their cities were in ruins. Things had been torn down, and they were looking at the devastation of what had happened, and they were called to set out in a particular work to rebuild. And they needed courage and they needed strength because the work of rebuilding is way harder than we want it to be. It's way slower than we want it to be. It's way more opposed than we want it to be. It rubs against our internal dispositions way more than we think it should. There are all sorts of things that we need to be filled up and infused with faith by. And the books of Chronicles are intentionally ordered and written to fill the people of God with that kind of faith to get after working in this way. Let her see the books are designed specifically to inspire a people that are looking at the ruins that are in front of them to take up their place and partner with what God is doing, right? And they do this by offering a pattern of how God's people are meant to experience God's blessings. They give us like a blueprint, a pattern. Essentially, they say at the heart of the people must be rightly ordered worship and everything else has to be built around that. That's why through all of First Chronicles, there has been nothing but belaboring of the point of how do we build the temple? How do we build the house for God? Because this has to be at the center point of everything that we're about. Our resources, our energy, the administration, our manpower. Everything has to be oriented around building this. And what we're going to see just by, you know, like a preview of coming attractions in Second Chronicles is essentially the book of Second Chronicles is what happens when people forsake the pattern? Things go really poorly. And what happened when people reclaimed the pattern, God breathes with a spirit of renewal and refreshing and revival among his people. And we are going to be strengthened by that as we look together. In 1 Chronicles 17, David desired to build God a house, a place where he would dwell among his people. And we've seen again and again that David had this unique revelation of how God ordered his kingdom and administrated his kingdom. That he administrated his kingdom on the worship of the people. Right? Psalm 22 verse 3, the Lord God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. This is how God administrates his kingdom reign in the world is when his people are in agreement with him in the place of worship and the place of prayer. David had a glimpse of this. He had a, 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 an insight and a revelation into how God had ordered the world and he got bit by the bug to see it happen. And he basically said, I'm going to give everything of my life, my energy, my time, my resources, everything that I have, I'm going to give to see this happen in my generation. But David was not permitted to build the house. We've seen that again and again. God came to him and said, you can't build me the house. You have too much blood on your hands. Your son Solomon's going to do this. So what does he do? He spends the rest of his life getting Solomon ready. And we've seen that through the rest of 1 Chronicles. He prepares the resources, that's chapter 22. He prepares the organization to facilitate the worship in the temple, that's chapter 23 to 27. And then last week we saw he prepares the people to respond by exhorting them to know God, to respond with a whole heart and a willing mind to what the Lord is at work doing. So this final chapter, what we get is the response of the people and then David's prayer in response to watching the people respond. So what we're going to look at primarily this morning is the first nine verses of this chapter and look at the response of the people and then look at what our response could look like in this season. Even as we come to the end of the year and we look at what's on the horizon, I wanna make specific application for us as a family of what is before us and what responding could look like in this season. But let's look at the text this morning. So the first section of the chapter highlights the response of the people of Israel, right? uh, David's gathered the big assembly, this coronation ceremony, and he stands up and he, he outlines what he has done to prepare Solomon uh, to ready the temple. He reminds the people, Solomon, my boy, he's like 20 years old. He's young. And because he's young, he's a knucklehead. He doesn't know what he's doing, but that's okay. God's going to be with him. And I've done a lot of work to get things ready. I, I, I've set the table really well. And people, would you come alongside him and put your hand to the plow as well as he will be young and inexperienced, will you respond to what God is doing? Because of this, David prepared extensively. I love this. We see that David did this even out of his own personal storehouses to make sure that Solomon had what was necessary to fulfill the task. Look at the first three verses again. Solomon, my son, whom God alone has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great because the palace will not be for a man, but will be for the Lord God himself. Because of this, I've provided for the house of my God as far as I was able, meaning I gave my strength to do this according to what I could do. And he's talking there about what we saw back in chapter 22, which were parts of the national treasure house. He put hundreds of thousands of talents of gold and million talents of silver. This is Israel's national treasure that he's devoting to this work. He says, I did that. However, in addition to that, this cost me something. I didn't just take from the the tax dollars that were being brought in to the government. I took of my own salary and set aside. I have this personal treasure that belongs to me. And I set aside from it as well to give to the house. I devoted this because of my own devotion to the house. So David highlights something that is very clear that we're going to see again and again in this text. And I think we have to drill in on. This is the big idea from the day. David highlights here, internal response, internal desire, internal uh, drawing toward what God is leading us to always has external expression. Always. It always looks like something. It always has concrete, boots on the ground, real responses in the way that we order our time and energy and money and resources. This looks like something. There is an external expression of the internal desire to walk in obedience to the ways of the Lord. And we see this for the first time right here, right? I did all of this, why? Because of my devotion to this, I had an internal drive, an internal desire, a longing to respond to the call of God. Therefore, it looked like something. I did something. Letter B, David then calls for the people to respond to the Lord by offering him in kind a free will offering of their own. David declared that there was a dynamic relationship between offering freely to the Lord and a posture of open-handed consecration to the work that the Lord called them into, right? So he lays this out, and then he he responds or closes it with this question in verse five. Who then will offer themselves willingly, consecrating themselves willingly? Unto the Lord in response to what God is at work doing. Who among you will offer willingly, offer with a free desire, generous disposition, and consecrate themselves to what God is doing? Look at page two. So after hearing David's final call to respond to the Lord, the chronicler then narrates the response of the leaders they responded by giving this free will offering to the Lord as a demonstration of their commitment to respond to his call we see this in verse 6 the leaders of the father's house the leaders of the tribe the commanders the hundreds the of the of the thousands the officers over the king's work they make their free will offering to the Lord they respond they say yes they 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 put in with what the Lord is doing And the act of giving then causes great joy among the people and for David. I love this verse. Look at verse 9 here. The people then rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart. And remember, here's here's a little thing that we got to knit together. Go back to 28, chapter 28, verse 9. What had David called them to respond to the Lord with? A whole heart and a willing mind, right? He said, walk before the Lord, serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. And then he says, who will respond in this way? Who will come close in this way? They respond and then they are full of joy at the reality that there was such a wholehearted response to what the Lord had had called them to. Now I want you to see a glorious progression that we have here, right? God calls, God puts before them a calling. He says, I want, I, I want you to respond this way. I want, I, I'm inviting you into a greater experience of my presence or a greater uh, relationship with me, a greater place of knowing and walking with me. He puts before the people a call. Then he stirs the people up. He actually stirs up their hearts to respond. So God calls, God stirs. We just like, Follow through on the stirring that he put in us to do the call that he gave us, and then we get joy. It's remarkable. What an unbelievable progression. He calls, he speaks, he invites, he stirs, he gives you the stuff to give. You give it, and then he gives you joy. What an unbelievable progression we see here. They rejoice because they had given willingly with a whole heart. They offered freely to the Lord, and David then rejoiced with them. So let's talk about a free will offering for a minute. We see this several places in this text, this idea of a free will offering, this generous, responsive offering back to the Lord. What is it? And how does it uh, work in this text? So in the scripture, there are two broad categories. Of gifts that the people of God are called to participate in. So there's two broad gifts that you are called to participate in. They are actually gifts to you that you receive by giving. It's a fun way to think about it. Right? This is a gift that is given to you, that you get to take by giving away. There's two of them. The first is what the Bible would call a tithe. The concept of the tithe is all throughout the scripture. It's a biblical commandment related to giving of our first fruits to the house of God. So in the New Testament, the New Covenant community, this is giving of your first fruits and a commitment to give of the first portion of your increase. To the house of God, the local church, the, the place where you are put in as a family in, in, in and among a church. Throughout the Old Testament, it was a tenth portion that was given or taken from the net increase. For believers in the new covenant, the tithe remains an important Though it's not salvific, it's not a means by which you earn your salvation to the Lord. It is a response that we are called to walk toward in responding to the grace of God that has given us. It is still an important element of walking in obedience to Jesus. Now, we can make arguments. There's all sorts of arguments about, is there still a percentage that's given? Or do you do it on gross or net increase? Like... I don't want to have those arguments. Here's the importance. The principle is essential. A commitment before the Lord to give of the first fruits of what he has given us and the principle matters for you for a couple reasons. Here's here's the reasons it matters. First, it demonstrates a posture of gratitude. It demonstrates a posture of gratitude and thankfulness, meaning you go, God, you gave me all of this. Thank you. I'm going to give back to you of what you've given me. It's exactly what we see in verse 14 and 16. Look at it with me. But who am I? What is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? Why, why would you let us have such an unbelievable gift? Why should we be able to rejoice and experience such grace in being able to offer back to you willingly because all things come from you anyway and of your own we've given of you. We didn't start with any of it. We came into the world with nothing. We're going to leave the world with nothing. You've let us steward this stuff for just a second while you're here. Why would you give us the privilege of even being able to give any of it back to you? It belonged to you in the beginning. It still belongs to you now. You gave it to us and we're just simply handing it back to you. David's, David's dumbfounded by the beauty of this. And then he says the same thing in verse 16. Oh, Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for the building you a house of your holy name came from your hand. It's all yours anyway. That's what the tithe is. The the tithe is us setting aside the first fruits and going, hey, this all came from the hand of God. None of it belongs to me. Not one dime of it belongs to me. Not because I hustled hard. Not because I was a good salesman. Not because I worked my way up. Not one dime is because of me. Therefore, I can offer in a posture of gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord what he gave me. That's one of the reasons this is essential for us as God's people. The other is it does put us in a posture of dependence right? The tithe in some ways cripples you out of the gate financially, right? It puts a press on you. You you get pinched. You're saying, God, I am going to trust that you're going to take care of me with 90% instead of 100%. That you have the ability, 90% all in with you is better than 100% on my own. That's what tithing says. It says, you know what? I'm gonna just trust you because all this came from you anyway. For me to give 10% of it back to you kind of is uh, neither here nor there in the grand scheme of things of like my ability to get wealth. God alone gives. Therefore, I'm gonna give this to you and say, part with you is better than all without you or outside of you or outside of your ways it's a posture of dependence the second category of giving that we then see is this concept we see here the free will offering beyond tithing the people of god were always are always given the opportunity to offer unto the lord as their hearts were so moved and specifically these come at times when they're invited to uh, step into a particular season of responding to what God is doing, right? There's these times, you can write some of them down. Exodus chapter 35, verses 20 to 29 highlights a very similar moment in Israel's life. We see these in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, we see these, these um, collections being taken up. Uh, there's uh, allusion to one in Galatians. There's, there's. We see parts of that in the book of Acts. These collections that would be taken up to offer to the Lord uh, at, at particular times. One of the realities, letter B, that we have to see throughout Scripture, is that the free will offering often serves as an external witness of an internal desire to respond to what God is at work doing. Okay, so here's my my big point. If you can take away the big idea from today. The free will offering is an external expression of an internal desire to be all in with where God is leading. So there are moments and times and seasons when God is stirring both individually or corporately in a particular way. And a free will offering often in those moments serves as one of the ways that in our own lives we can put a stake in the ground and say, before the eyes of the Lord, I'm all in. I want to be in here. I want to step toward what you're doing. And there's differing ways we see this happen throughout the scripture. Number one is what we see here with finances and resources. There's use of particular resources to meet the needs of God's family as they step toward fulfilling his work. This is Exodus 25. They take up a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. Let them make me a sanctuary that I would dwell in their midst. When they're building the first tabernacle, they they take up a collection and they say, I want you to see that again in in verse 1. Every man whose heart moves him, right? This is a free will, uh, a stirring of the affections toward what God is at work doing, a response to that. We see this in this passage. They gave for the service of the house of God, talents of gold and talents of silver and bronze and iron. And anyone that had precious stones, they gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. We see a similar thing in Acts chapter two in the days of the early church, when they're all in Jerusalem and there's there's a bunch of people gathered to Jerusalem from elsewhere in the nations and they end up coming to know Jesus and there's all these people and they don't have homes. and, and, And so the early church starts to respond by people selling their properties and giving everything to the church so that these people can be supported. And we see that here they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds, proceeds to all as any had need. So we see this often in the scriptures as financial or resources that are given to respond to what God's doing. At times we see this as people offering. Their labor and their energy, their their manpower, so to speak, to respond in an external way, freely given to lay lay forward and do the work before them. Their external demonstrations uh, come through sacrificial gifts of time and energy to do the work that's required. Look at Haggai 1 here. This is what's happening in the days of Haggai. The Lord comes to the people and he says, consider your ways. You're you're giving yourselves to all sorts of other pursuits. You've gotten really spread thin and my house is laying in ruins. Consider how you're giving your life away and come and work. Come and work. Come and serve. What does he tell them to do? Go up into the hills and get some wood so that we can build the house of God. That I might take pleasure in it and be glorified. Go up in the hills, get some wood. Some people are excited about that. And I love this. Again, here we see it one more time. Verse 14, what happens? The Lord calls and then the Lord stirs. Then the Lord stirred up the spirit of the remnant and they came and worked on the house of the Lord, their God. We see the same kind of thing in Ezra and in Nehemiah where the people are called to respond and they respond by giving of their time and their labors. Look at page three. There are other times we see in the scripture this this free will offering is of particular skills and talents. There's times when individuals orient their own skills and trades in a way that serves to accomplish the work before God's people. We see this in Exodus 31. The Lord told Moses See, I have called Bezalel, the son of Uri, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence with knowledge in all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, to work in every craft. So the Lord calls this man to respond by taking skills that he has, and then he anoints them. This is amazing for your, just this is free. This is the first place in the Bible where someone is said to be filled with the spirit. Is this craftsman and, and, and what I don't want you to hear is this, that this craftsman has never touched a piece of gold before in his life and the spirit floods upon him and then all of a sudden he knows how to like craft with gold. That's not what happens. This man has been faithful in cultivating a skill that is uh, he's put time and sweat and energy and labor into. And when the time is needed and the Lord goes, I have need of thee, Bezalel, he fills him with his spirit and empowers him so that he can use the skill that he had crafted for the good of the people of God and the family of God in the season where he was calling them. Now, I get to see this a little bit. You know, we've been, we've been stepping toward making some changes in our building. We're gonna change the gallery space downstairs and this one out here and then some changes in the sanctuary. And uh, I got to talk to Katie this, this week uh, on a video that we're going to send out, I, I hope sometime in the next week or so. Kind of like pulling the curtain back just a little bit to talk about some of the building stuff and what the Lord's been doing and how, how people have been kind of coming out of the woodwork to put their hands into the middle and go, we want to we like pick things up and start working. And I, it, it dawned on me as we're talking, I'm like, man, we didn't set out to kind of do this, like, quote-unquote, in-house, we just had this harebrained idea, like, we want to make some changes. We think that we need to embody in our physical spaces things that God is doing spiritually in our community. And people started, like, literally coming out of the woodwork. Architects and General contractors and people that do this for a living, they're like, hey, I wanna give some time to this. I wanna give some time to this. Things that they've spent years and years and years cultivating, walking forward and then watching the Lord stir this up with joy and excitement to move toward it. It's remarkable. You watch it happen and this is part of what it means to offer the Lord a free will offering in response to what he's doing. Look at letter C. Practicing such offerings according to the grace of God helps us cultivate an inner disposition toward our resources such that we begin to take God at his word and believe that there is a greater blessedness in giving than there is the apparent blessedness of receiving. Look at Acts chapter 20. These are Jesus's words. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Jesus declared to us, both in actual word and in his very life, just in his life, in taking on the form of a servant, the one that was in the form of God, the one who existed in perfect fellowship in the triune Godhead from eternity past, the very fact that he submitted himself to the incarnation demonstrates this principle to us. It is more blessed to give than to receive. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. And as we respond in free will gifts to the Lord, we take on for ourselves, we partner with his grace and say, we want to walk in a way that says, we believe it is better to give than receive. Look at letter F. Paul emphasizes the glorious grace of generosity that was expressed among the Macedonian churches and how this gave demonstration to God's grace as it was made known in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 here. We want you to know, brothers. We want you to know something. He's writing to the Corinthians. He wants to say and highlight something that's happening. There's a particular grace a particular grace that God has lavished upon the churches of Macedonia. I want you to see it. I want you to be aware of it. I want you to understand it. And we might imagine as Paul is highlighting a particular grace that's being given to the Macedonians that he's going to talk about like all these people getting, getting saved, right? They're having big old revival meetings. I want you to know the grace of God. They're having these crazy revival meetings where God's showing up and people are getting saved and people are getting healed and everybody's being restored. How cool is that? That's not what he says. He goes, there's a particular grace that's happening among the Macedonians. Let me tell you about it. They were walking through a test of severe affliction and their abundance of joy and in their extreme poverty They have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Hey, there is this grace that's being poured out upon the Macedonians. And I just wanna highlight it to you. They're walking through severe affliction, trial, testing, they have nothing. And we're taking up this collection for the saints. And when they heard about it, they overflowed with joy and a wealth of generosity to be a part of it. Why? They gave according to their means. I can testify actually beyond their means. They didn't have anything. Of their own accord, there's the free will part, begging us for the grace to participate in this. They understood that there was a greater blessedness in giving than in receiving, right? How many of us embody that in our lives? How many of us reach for that in our lives, right? We're in a posture of need. We're in a posture of apparent lack. How many of our first impulse in that place is to give, to overflow in generosity? to be abundant, to beg somebody, please, let me get in on that, right? I can imagine Paul going, guys, 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 you don't have any money. No, no, here, here, guys, that's not very wise. You don't want to get in on this. It's not wise of you to do this. And they're begging him. No, 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 don't keep this opportunity from us. You don't understand. There's a grace over there that we want a part of. And the way that we experience and walk in that grace is by sacrificially, generously giving. We want to be a part of that. And they understood something, right? Look at verse nine here. They understood that there is a particular grace in the heart of Jesus that is disposed this way. This is what our king is like you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So God desires to bring transformation in our hearts toward a spirit of generosity. Later in 2 Corinthians, Paul goes on to highlight that God desires his people to give with cheerfulness. There again, the, will, the free will offering, not out of compulsion, This demonstrates the inner disposition is what God is longing for in his people. Let's just look at this really quickly. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8. The point is this. As he's put before them the Macedonians and he's talked about Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor. He sums up the point this way. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Free will offering, there you go again. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. This is all about the grace of God. Experiencing the animating, life-giving power of God in our midst. So let's look at our own response here. Let's make some application as we come to the end of this year together. As we do come to the end of the year, as we walk through a midst of a season where we've been receiving a particular call from the Lord to build the house, I think it's essential for us to look at the ways that we're going to respond to him together in the coming year, and I think there's a couple reasons why. Number one, it's a natural close, right? We're we're finishing our time on First Chronicles. It's in the text. I'm not like trying to force something in there. Here it is. It's in front of us. We preach the whole counsel of God. (laughs) Uh, And as we come to the end of the year, we have a natural rhythm built into us to start reflecting right? Like a new year is always the time where we start to reflect on how am I living? What's, what, do, what do I want to be different this coming year than, than is was this year presently? And I want to start priming the pump and like seeding some conversations in your own heart before the Lord, in your family, uh, in your homes, uh, with your small group. I want to start seeding some conversations of what does it look like to respond to the Lord in this coming year and what's in front of us. Through the course of this fall, I think I've told you guys this, but one of my primary uh, prayers over our spiritual family has been that Haggai 1.14 reality, that the Lord would stir our hearts, right? As he tells us, hey, this is what's in front of you. I know my own like, inability to drum up my, uh, my own excitement to respond to that. I know my own like lethargy and apathy and, and tendencies towards lukewarmness in my own heart. And I've asked the Lord to stir up our hearts to like take the big, you know, stirring stick and just begin to move among us and awaken for us an affinity for what he's doing. And this fall has a lot been about laying foundations and trying to get on the same page and align with values and vision and what's God doing and what does that look like? We've made a few strategic changes, but this next year is going to be about kind of running the play, about building, about showing up, about putting our hands in and walking these things out together to see uh, uh, something beautiful built in the years to come here. Look at page four. So at the end of this year, and as we move into next year, I think there are a lot of concrete opportunities for us to say yes to what the Lord is doing with a heart disposed towards putting external expression to our internal desires and our commitments, right? The reason I'm doing this again is to get out in front of the next season, right? Before January 1, you know, we, we all have our New Year's resolutions, um, and then I get you January 7th in the pulpit, and the problem with that is we've already all broken our New Year's resolutions by the time uh, we, we roll in that Sunday. And so I want to get out in front of this and go, hey, what would, what would stepping in in this next season look like? Uh, It may look like taking a serious look at your time, your money, your energy, where your labors pointed at, um, and then asking the Lord, are there changes that can be made here? And I want to give you five categories uh, related to this in our, in our life together. Number one is our Sunday gatherings. One of the primary things that the Lord is calling us to do is rebuild the house. Uh, it's to order and orient our whole life as a spiritual family, both individually and corporately, around rightly ordered worship to King Jesus. So in January, we're going to preach a few sermons outlining the particular burdens that the Lord's given us uh, to, to our elders for the next year uh, for the work before us. And then we're going to resume Second Chronicles, And as we do so, one of the things that we're going to see again and again is that the pattern of renewal that comes when God's people reclaim the importance of worship at the center of their lives. We're going to be filled with faith week in and week out as we see what happens when God's people take up the call to rightly order their lives around giving pure and true worship to the Lord that they take that as first importance and first pursuit in their lives. As we enter the new year, I think there could be an invitation for us to consider our ways and a call to orient our lives, our weeks, our schedules around the gathering of God's people on the Lord's day, right? So let me just give a couple, couple maybe particular uh, categories. If you're in the room and you kind of pop in and out, from week to week, maybe you're here once or twice a month and you, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're kind of putting your toe in the water. Maybe the invitation for you in considering what stepping toward might be in the next season is to make a commitment to be here every Sunday, to be here, to gather with God's people, to put your lot in, to, to, to put down roots, so to speak. For those of you in the room, I, I say this all the time and you guys are like, man, you guys are, you're, you're always picking on me, I'm sorry. Hey, for those of you, and, and I'm not talking about necessarily for work, this is different, but for those of you that travel a lot, what would a year look like where you traveled less or you got back on Saturday nights? you built your life around gathering with God's people and you made real decisions about your energy and your money and your time and how what you did with your schedule based on the importance of being with the family of God on Sunday mornings just a invitation okay so that's sunday wednesdays wednesday nights We gather every Wednesday. God has called us to become a praying church. The primary way that we're doing that in this season is on Wednesday evenings at 6.30, downstairs in the chapel, we gather for an hour to pursue the face of God and ask him to fulfill his purposes in our city. I think that Wednesday night, outside of Sunday, is the most important thing our church is doing. Okay, I wanna say it this way. If you're looking for step two in our church right, you've been coming, step one is I, I, I come on Sundays and I see what things are about. If you wanna know what step two is, Wednesday night is step two. It is step two in the life of our church. It is, there's an invitation here, right? I think there's some people come in, step one, they gather, they do this, and then they jump to step four, five, six, and they get really busy in the life of our church. And I actually wanna ask you, to look at your ways and go, what would it look like to go back to step two and make step two of supreme importance in your life in the next season? There's a reason why I'm giving you some weeks to think about it, right? I know life doesn't just change overnight, but hey, if that means you stepping back from a ministry team in this season, step back from the ministry team. Come on Wednesdays. I, I, I'm serious about this. Uh, I don't know how loudly I can announce that. This really matters. I, t- I tell people all the time, if I'm not sick, my family isn't in an emergency and I don't happen to be traveling for some random reason. We don't travel all that much. I will be there. I'll drag myself in, probably even if I'm sick. Sorry but I will. That it matter, This is the most important meeting of my week. I will be there. Okay. So I, I want to invite our people to respond in that way. One of the ways to like ask the Lord to stir up our hearts and respond in that way. All right. Thirdly, Sunday schools, participate in a Sunday school. In January, we're expanding them, as you heard in our announcement time. I think this is one of the key places where we're going to learn the truth of God's word together and how we order our lives around Jesus' lordship, right? How we learn and participate and practice and embody walking as the family of God, living according to the culture of God's kingdom. This is one of the places where we're going to do that together. And so I want to encourage you to jump in and be a part of that. Letter G, You need a Bible reading plan. When David charged Solomon in his obedience to the task before him, he called him to know God. Reading God's word is an essential element for growing in the knowledge of God. It's the first element, the most important part of what it means to grow in the knowledge of God. you got to get in the word and you got to have a plan to get in the word. So start thinking, go into the new year with a plan. Don't wait until January 7th or January 15th or February 4th to like realize that I need a plan. Think now about a plan. We actually have a wonderful group of people, Lay led, that's doing kind of the, the um, boot camp Bible in 90 days. You know, people call it B90X. <laughs> people will do it for your body. Do it for your soul. Uh, we've got it, we've got the plan downstairs on the um, on the welcome desk on a card. Go pick one up. Jump in and do that if you want just an all-life immersive dive into the Scripture. If you, if you don't want to do that, if that's too much for you, there are so many good annual reading plans, uh, Bible reading plans that you can lay hold of. You just search on Google, Bible reading plan. You'll have 50 to choose from. Uh, go into the new year with a plan of how you are going to attack reading God's Word regularly. And not just doing the roulette thing where it's like, I'm going to flip around until I feel something. Like, take it in like a diet. Eat your vegetables when you don't want to. I could have, okay, we'll go in different. Letter H. Give sacrificially to our church. Uh, We cannot shortchange the dynamic relationship between our hearts and our resources. God has called us to respond in specific times and in specific ways by giving of our resources in sacrificial ways to what God is doing. And I, hey, I just wanna actually say this, like uh, even in reading through this, where it's like the people rejoice and then David rejoices. As, I, as, as I'm praying this morning, I, I'm just stunned at the generosity of the spiritual family. I wish there were ways that I could tell you Stories of the generosity of the spiritual family. I, I am like, my heart is like bursting with gratitude and thanks, thanksgiving at being able to watch how you guys respond. And I just wanna go, yes and amen and more, Lord. Like, would you do more? Um, the ways that this happens, number one, tithing. Like I said, if you, if, if, you, if you aren't tithing, set your heart to respond to the Lord in this way. Again, not because God needs your money or the church needs your money. You need this. You need this. This is a heart thing. You can't afford not to. Uh, secondly, we have our building fund, our building project we opened uh, several months ago as we are making these changes, we opened up this option for people to give sacrificially or according to free will and their own desire to see what God's doing come to pass. And one of the reasons we did this, we talked about this as elders again and again and again, as we're coming into it, we're like, man, do we really wanna do a capital campaign? Do we wanna do a building campaign? It's like, what is this form in our people? How do we do this? It's like, do we really need the money? And I kept going, hey, I love what we see happen in these moments. I don't want to take it away from your ability and my ability to respond in this way. I actually don't want to lose out on that gift. And so we opened that up so that we can step in as a family to say, This is a gracious gift that God has given us. Let's respond. That's one of the ways we can do that. And lastly, I'll just be really fast. You guys have been amazing. I've been too long. Every year at our Christmas Eve service, it's at 6.30, uh, two Sundays from now on Christmas Eve, we take an offering, uh, 100% of which we designate to our benevolence for the next calendar year. And benevolence is uh, uh, what we take. It exists as a mercy ministry within our church that primarily exists to help members who are walking through seasons of financial need. And what we do every year is as an elder team, we kind of look at what our needs were the last year. We determine what we think the needs are gonna be the next year. We set a a filling for that of, of what our benevolence is gonna be. And then anything we receive on Christmas Eve above and beyond that, we give directly to our city partnerships. These partnerships that we have with mercy ministries throughout our city, that's um, City Union Mission, Refuge KC, Care Portal, and I'm sorry, but I forgot to put on their Hope is Alive. Those ministries that we're strategically partnered with to see the gospel move out into some of these specific places of dire need in our city. We, we just give anything above that number directly to those partnerships to seed into that work in the city. And so those are ways that you can respond in this city or in this season and our city. Amen. <laughs> Amen.